Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast. Hour two. Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across America. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of the program? Very happy to have you. We need to turn now to raw politics. I've noticed something. It's becoming a pattern. As more and more people lock in their preference for president on the Republican side, if I criticize Ron DeSantis or praise another candidate, suddenly up oh, you're you're suddenly not supporting DeSantis. If I talk too much about Tim Scott, it's like, well, why aren't you supporting Ron DeSantis? Why do you like Tim Scott? Oh, you're a Tim Scott supporter now. I, I wrote about Mike Pence favorably last week. Oh, so now you're supporting Pence, y'all. Come on, grow up. I'm happy with anyone other than Trump. I'm just, I'm not a Trump guy. I, I, I think that he's going to be the worst possible person for the GOP to nominate. And I know some of you disagree with me, giving you my opinion. I I, I would prefer, I mean, I, I think a, a Haley, a Scott, a DeSantis, a Pence. Pence is problematic because I, I love the guy, but I realize he's alienated both sides on the Trump spectrum. Uh, but I just, I think a fresh new voice, the vo- non-Republican voters who will vote in the general are screaming for the Republicans to nominate someone other than Trump, and they will go all in on that person. And we will win, and we've got to win. We've got to beat Biden. Four more years of the regulatory shenanigans at the Department of Energy, uh, four years to to possibly replace a conservative on the Supreme Court because of their age. It's just it'd be bad for us to hand this to the Democrats. And you saw in 2022 the Democrats did everything they could to play within the Republican primary to align the GOP to their liking to pick the worst possible person so the Democrats would win the general election, and it worked for them. And you see the Democrats in the media doing everything they can to help Donald Trump get the Republican nomination because it's the same game they played in 2022. They know he's the easiest to beat. They want him. Uh, If I criticize DeSantis, you can consider the criticism as me trying to give suggestions to the campaign to improve. Same with Tim Scott, who we need to talk about because the knives are out for Tim Scott. This doesn't mean I'm endorsing any of these candidates. Spare me the hate mail that you think I'm supporting the candidates. I, I like them all. They're all friends. DeSantis is the one I don't know, and he's the one I most often get accused of supporting. But Tim Scott now, the opposition research is starting to drop on him. Why is it dropping on Tim Scott? Because the Trump campaign's internal polling and the DeSantis campaign internal polling have both been reflecting for a couple of weeks what the media polling is now starting to show. Tim Scott is going up. He's now in double digits in Iowa. Now, I need to pause on this, and I need to go off on a tangent here for a moment. In 2016... 
the public political polling was right. Hillary Clinton was going to win. 2016, Hillary Clinton won. The popular vote. The public opinion polling turned out to be right. In fact, the public opinion polling average at Real Clear Politics only missed the actual popular vote outcome by about a percentage point. That's how good the public opinion polling was in 2016. It got it right. Where it missed, however, was that there's an electoral college. And while Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, she did not win Pennsylvania, nor did she win Wisconsin, uh, among other things, or Michigan, and Donald Trump won the electoral college. So the public opinion polling, it doesn't measure the electoral college. It measures the popular vote overall, and Hillary Clinton won. And the popular polling, disproportionately, you had people in New York and in California and elsewhere. Uh, they weren't factoring in battleground states. They were factoring in nationally, and, and it was right. She won. I have no reason to doubt that the Republican primary polling nationwide showing Donald Trump at or above 50% is accurate. The problem is the national public opinion polling doesn't matter anymore for the Republican nomination than it did for the presidency in 2016, because like the presidency in 2016, you're not playing at the national popular vote. You're playing at the, at the state level. So Donald Trump leads in Iowa. But Donald Trump's lead in Iowa is less than 40%. Same in New Hampshire. It's less than 40%. So an alternative candidate can consolidate the field and get over 50% and get all of those delegates in Iowa and then rebound into New Hampshire and then rebound into South Carolina. And the more it goes on with that person picking up delegates, growing to their totals, that matters more than the fact that nationally – Donald Trump is over 50% because by the time you get to big states like Florida and Georgia and Texas and their primaries, you've already locked up so many votes within the winner-take-all structure of the Republican Party that then when you get to the, the divide and conquer and split the delegates battle, you've already got somebody locked in. So it matters greatly at the individual state level now, just as it does in 2016 if you looked at the battleground state polling instead of the national polling. When you look at Iowa and you look at New Hampshire and you look at South Carolina and you see nobody's over 50% in state-by-state -state polling, although I think Trump actually is over 50 in South Carolina, but he's not in Iowa, he's not in New Hampshire, he's not in a place like Georgia, suddenly it matters that Tim Scott's in double digits. It matters that Ron DeSantis is falling. It matters that there are avenues and venues for candidates to be able to begin consolidating and playing the delegate game in such a way that they have growth where other candidates may not. And in this particular case, it's benefiting Tim Scott. The DeSantis polling shows it. The Trump polling shows it. I assume Nikki Haley's polling shows it because the Haley campaign and outside groups have, have started uh, criticizing Tim Scott. The super PAC for Nikki Haley has actually started criticizing him. So too has the DeSantis super PAC never backed down. Uh, some of them claim he's, he's never really had a real challenger in terms of a serious primary or the general. So he's a little unvetted. The scrutiny's going to come. That's what they're starting to say. I imagine we're going to get a whisper campaign from the Trump team or the DeSantis team saying, why is he in his 40s and single? I, I, I suspect you're going to get something like that. I, I do. And I suspect the he's in his 50s, 57 and he's single. Well, why is Tim Scott 57 and single? And they're, they're the Democrats, of course, they're going to gay bait him. Look at what they do with Lindsey Graham. 
I think Scott can withstand all of that. But they're coming from Scott. They're coming for Tim Scott because Tim Scott is offering something none of the other candidates are offering right now. Not a single one of the candidates. And there's a lesson here for the DeSantis team and the Haley team and the Pence team and the Trump team, all of these other teams. There's a lesson here for you in what Tim Scott is doing, and that is he's offering an optimistic, happy vision. Every other candidate is doom and gloom and anti-woke. Now, anecdote again, I've said this, this will be my second time saying it today. Anecdote is not data. But when you keep encountering the same anecdote over and over, it begins to become data. You begin to see it manifest in the data, and we're seeing this with Tim Scott. I know people who are Tim Scott supporters. They were Tim Scott supporters out of the gate. They've liked Tim Scott. I know them. But I know many, 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 many more Tim Scott supporters who were Ron DeSantis supporters. And they shifted to Tim Scott because DeSantis failed to pivot off the anti-woke stuff. These are people who are fine with the anti-woke stuff, but they want more than than the anti-woke stuff. They've been waiting for the DeSantis pivot that doesn't seem to ever come. He did the Jake Tapper interview, and the Jake Tapper interview was a great interview. And it looked like this guy looks presidential. He's now ready to move messages off the I battle the wokes into a bigger vision of America. And then he went right back to, hey, we're looking into Bud Light, and we might just sue him. Nobody cares about Bud Light at this point, Ron DeSantis. Nobody cares about it. It took your team off message to go back to the anti-woke vision right as you were dangling in front of people that, hey, there's something more out there. You've got to give them the something more now. You're losing people to people like Tim Scott because they don't just want the angry anti-woke fighter. They want someone who actually smiles and is a nice guy who they still think can fight the left. And they think they're getting that in Tim Scott. They hear a more optimistic vision for America. They hear a happy message about America. They hear the goodness of America. All they're hearing from DeSantis right now is the badness of the wokes. People want to hear about the goodness of America. They're getting that from Scott. They want a happy warrior with an optimistic vision. Now, DeSantis has an economic plan coming. If he spins this right with growth and opportunity for all Americans, regardless of race, religion, creed, ethnicity, sexuality, whatever, I think that opens the door for DeSantis to pull some of these people back from Scott. But he's got to offer something more than I'm fighting Disney and Bud Light. Nobody really cares at the end of the day. Outside the hardcore, rabid Republican base, many of whom are already Trump supporters, and you're not going to lure these people away from Donald Trump. Instead, You've got like 60% of the Republican field in Iowa and in New Hampshire and other states who are looking for an alternative. Maybe you can pull those people away from their current uh, preference. There's a path there. DeSantis is still, after Trump, the top dog. He's double digits. He's got the money. He's got the staying power. But he's got to offer something more than I'm fighting Bud Light and Disney. Tim Scott, by offering something more, by offering something happy, by offering something optimistic, is starting to get the the arrows and the, the bullets shot at him. He's got the most distinct message. If you want to be anti-woke, you can go to Donald Trump. You can go to Ron DeSantis. You can go to Mike Pence. You can go to a lot of the candidates. You cannot go to Asa Hutchinson. But if you want the I love America, America's been good to me, America's not a racist nation, it offers opportunity for people like me, 
there's only one guy you can go to, the descendant of slaves. It's kind of just interesting to me that this man, a descendant of slaves, is offering the most optimistic, upbeat, pro-America message of any candidate of either party. Joe Biden is busy, instead of being the anti-woke, he's the woke candidate going after the anti-wokes. He hates Republicans. They're all a threat to democracy. He hates MAGA. He hates Trump. The Republicans are a party of racists and will set us back. You got DeSantis going after Bud Light and Disney. Donald Trump going after everybody. Tim Scott's just, hey, guys, we're a great country. We should remember we're a great country, and we could be an even greater country. We don't have to make America great again because it's already great, but we can improve America for everyone and make everyone feel like they're part of the success, regardless of who they are or where they're from. And if we disagree with each other, we should be able to disagree with each other without trying to force ourselves on everybody else. We can be in this all together and make America a greater nation, and I'm living proof a descendant of slaves now in the United States Senate who knows our best days still lie ahead of us. What happened in the past does not define us who we are now and where we are now can help shape our future for a better life for all Americans. Let's get on board. Team America go. And people love it. And there's something for the other candidates in the GOP to learn from Tim Scott. Instead, they're now trying to tear Tim Scott down. There's a series of opposition that has appeared uh, in the press that, well, he's kind of weak on foreign policy. Well, we don't really know who he is. Well, he's 57 and single. There's something off. We're hearing all these things, and what do we get from Tim Scott is, gosh darn it, I love our country. There are a lot of people who do, and they want their candidates to as well. And for all those other Republican candidates suddenly finding a Tim Scott surge, maybe they should, instead of tearing him down, realize why he's doing as well as he is all of a sudden and try to mimic that, improve that, refine that, and get out ahead of him on a happy, warrior, optimistic message for the United States of America. I finally watched John Wick Chapter 4 on the plane ride home yesterday. Okay, this may just be me, but have y'all noticed it's harder to sit through a multi-hour movie? TV shows have gotten so good, and they're 30 minutes to an hour in most cases, and and you've got like a definitive entry and exit point, and and movies are, are longer, and it just... I don't, I'm having a hard, unless the movie's really good. And John Wick 4, I really like, I like the whole John Wick series. There's a fascinating meditation on heaven and hell and, and predestination and, and things like that in, in the subtext of the show. It, it's just good. But I got to tell you, the thing that John Wick movies are known for, and I don't recommend them for kids. They're very violent. They are very violent movies. But th- he uses guns in this movie series more accurately than pretty much any other movie out there in terms of safety, in terms of runs out of bullets. Like John Wayne could fire a a single-shot revolver uh, 300 times without ever having to reload. John Wick is having to reload constantly. In fact, there's one scene in the movie where he takes off his jacket and you can hear all the magazines falling out of of his – notice I said magazines, not clip. Uh, You can hear all the magazines falling out of the jacket. It was kind of funny. Um, every time he takes off an article of clothing, all the magazines fall out. It, it's but, but in the movie, had to stop her on the plane ride. Poor old Philip is is like zoned out, not feeling well, and I had to stop him. Like, have you seen this? It's called Dragon's Breath, Charlie. 
Charlie, have you seen Dragon's Breath shells? This is so they've got this gun. It's, it's a, a Terran Tactical JW4 for John Wick 4, Dracarys, which is the dragon from, uh, from, or, or yeah, from, I mean, fire. Dracarys is, is what, um, uh, what's her name says to get the dragons to spit out fire. Uh, a Gen 12 shotgun. So it's named, got a Game of Thrones and a John Wick tie-in. This Dragon's Breath shell, Charlie, you need to Google. You haven't seen it. Dragon's Breath shotgun shell. It spits fire like 100 feet of fire plus the shotgun. It, it, I was just, I was like, is this, this can't be real. And yet John Wick shows real guns. They don't do like hypothetical imaginary guns. They use real guns in this movie. And he's shooting the shotgun that is spraying fire at people and setting people on fire. And I was like, my gosh, that can't be real. It's real. It's forty nine or forty five ninety nine. Forty five ninety nine. I I want this. I I covet this. This is my new precious. I I need I need this in my life, just to have, just to be like for the Fourth of July. Instead of shooting fireworks, you just fire off that shotgun, and it's just it's amazing. I'm I've I haven't been this enamored in in any ammo and gun in a while. The Dracarys Gen 12 shotgun with Dragon's Breath. I want this thing just to have. Now, I want you to go to AFP, to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Listen, the Biden agenda is leaving so many people behind. Bidenomics is just, it's, 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 they're bragging about it, and it's not good. You can feel it in your life. And Americans for Prosperity believes in free markets and free people, and they know to get the economy turned back around, to get more people to work, to have this new normal go back to the old normal that was actually normal, you got to stand up and fight for free markets and free people and limited government. You can be a part of this. You go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. Americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. You sign up with them. They've got chapters in 36 states. You can be a part of it. They're growing in the states where they don't have official chapters, and you might be able to help them formalize the chapter there to fight for free markets and free people against these crazy economic policies we're seeing. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Go check out Americans for Prosperity today. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance, thanks to the Sensibles. And at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. BCS-Kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a Sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Well, somebody wanted to call in about the dragon's breath, and they've hung up now. 877-973-7425. Uh, is the phone number if you want to be on the program. Uh, just real quick, 
I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I just I find this very funny. It's it's funny sometimes what pollsters will pull on. Gallup wants you to know that frequent churchgoers, Protestants, and Republicans are the most likely subgroups to say they believe in the five spiritual entities. Now you're wondering, as I was when I saw this, what the heck are the five spiritual entities? According to Gallup, God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil, as opposed to just demons. Now, there's something larger at play here, actually. So th- this is the this is the thing. The uh, number of people who believe in God has fallen from 90% in 2001 to 74% now. Uh, the people who believe in heaven has gone from 83% to 67%. The people who believe in angels has gone from 79% to 69%. So statistically, same number of people believe in heaven as believe in angels. People who believe in hell has gone from 71% to 59% and the devil 68% to 58%. There was actually a resurgence of people who believed in the devil after 9-11. But uh, it's not a coincidence that you are most likely to believe in the good thing and least likely to believe in the bad thing, but it's notable that a majority of Americans believe in all of the above, most, however, believing in God. Now, what's more notable to me is how it's Protestant weekly churchgoers are the most likely to believe. 94% of self-described Protestants or Christians believe in uh, God, 85% of Catholics, uh, 25% of people who identify as no religion still believe in a God. 98% of people who go to church weekly believe in God, 94% of of monthly churchgoers believe in God, 57% of people who go less often or not at all believe in God. One of the most notable, interesting parts to me is that 81% of Protestants believe in hell and the devil, but only 60% of Catholics believe in hell and the devil. 89% of Protestants believe in heaven, 76% of Catholics. 87% of Protestants believe in angels, only 80% of Catholics. Now, I'm going to I'm going to make a suggestion to you. In large part because well, I know some of it. Catholic is an ethnic identifier for more and more people. In fact, I suspect uh, increasingly you, you would find that the evangelical number is less than the Protestant number in the belief in God. So 94% of uh, Protestants believe in God. I would suspect it would probably be 90% of evangelicals, 85% of Catholics, because evangelical is becoming like Catholic and Jew. Jewishness no longer is a religious identifier. It's an ethnic identifier in polling. 
Catholicism and Catholic is no longer a religious identifier in a lot of polling. It has, it's more of an ethnic identifier and same for evangelical. There are a lot of people who identify as evangelicals. They're white Southerners whose families have a propensity for going to church, but they themselves are fishing on Sunday. They're not in church or they're watching NASCAR or something or they're travel balling. You know, I, I got a buddy of mine, as an aside, a, a friend of mine is a pastor who got in trouble in his church because in a sermon, he said, you could either be a Christian or a travel ball family pick. <laughs> now, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this, this right now, you're probably laughing with a bit of a knowing nod. Uh, if you're a travel ball family who fancies yourself Christians, you're probably irate. And in his church, there are a lot of them, and they were pretty furious with him. But his point was travel ball families, they're at the baseball field on Sunday. They're not in church. Um, and that was the point <laughs> But it made a lot of people mad. But evangelical and Catholic are ethnic identifiers more than they are religious identifiers in America today. Evangelical, if you're a white Protestant family from the South, whether or not you go to church, you probably identify as evangelical. If you are a, um, if you're uh, Irish background, um, in a a lot of cases, uh, you are Southern European, Italian. Uh, Hispanic, you identify as Catholic. You may not identify as Hispanic anymore in your family, but you might identify as Catholic. If your family background generically is Irish, you more and more generically identify yourself as Catholic. It's an ethnic identifier. So if you were to see, for example, a polling data, and I suspect we could find this if I had all the data from Gallup, you would see that a Catholic person who identifies himself as a regular church-going Catholic has a pretty high view of God, angels, heaven, hell, and the devil. But if you're ethnically Catholic and it doesn't really matter to you, you're nominally Catholic, well, you may not believe in these things. The other data I find interesting is, is, well, there is the... Um, Republican versus Democrats, 87% of Republicans believe in God, 66% of Democrats, 78% of Republicans believe in the devil, 44% of Democrats. The other two I find very striking in the data are the income and education roles. Christianity, of course, has historically been the religion of the poor. The, uh, the poor get hope in an afterlife. You know, one of my favorite songs is my favorite song, is the favorite psalm of mine, uh, is Psalm 73. It's very interesting how how the psalms work. So Psalm 73 and Psalm 37 are mirror images of each other. Psalm 37 is David's psalm, and it is uh, what it's like to be a child of God in a world that hates him. And Psalm 73, and, and the benefits you see for yourself, as opposed to the world around you, Psalm 73 is what it is to be a child of God in a world that hates you and the benefits the world gets, where the world looks like it's succeeding, and ultimately the Psalm of Asaph realizes that, uh, yeah, but this is the best they'll ever have it. Uh, And this is an idea that Christianity itself has conveyed over time to the poor, is that, yes, this life is miserable for you, but this is the worst you will ever have it. And the rich people who are lording it over you, this is the best world they will ever have it. And so the poor, in propensity, going back to the early days of the church, had a greater embrace of the Christian faith than the wealthy. There was nothing in it for the wealthy. You know, know, so there's a a comedian I really like. His name is Neil Brennan. He was the uh, co-creator with Dave Chappelle of The Chappelle Show. He's been a a writer 
for Dave Chappelle and others, and he does his own stand-up. It's much more cerebral. But he has this line, and it's coming. you can see it on Netflix. Um, it's called Neil Brennan Blocks. And he says that atheism is the ultimate white privilege. And you see this. Uh, the better educated you are white person is more likely to be an atheist than a better educated black or Hispanic person. And he's like, uh, so religion promises you this afterlife where everything is great and glorious as opposed to what you have in the here and now. And the rich white person like, really? Really? You, you, you're, you're telling me there's going to be something better than what I have right now? I might just take my supplement and take my chances. He's not wrong in that observation. So th this is what the data shows. Uh, women have greater faith than men. They're more likely to believe in heaven, hell, angels, uh, the devil, God. Not statistically by much, but, but by some. But the poorer you are, the stronger your faith is. Uh, people who make less than 40000 are 81% likely to believe in God compared to 68% of those who make more than 100000 63% of those who make less than 40000 believe in the devil and hell. 54% of those who make over 100000 Then there's college educated. If you do not have a college degree, 76% of you believe in God. If you have a college degree, 69% believe in God. 61% of people without a college degree believe in the devil. 63% believe in hell. 51% of college graduates believe in the devil and hell. It's very interesting to me. It stacks up historically over time as well, uh, how people identify. But, you know, there's, there's also something else here. And this is, so Chris Hitchens, if you recall, he's dead now. But Christopher Hitchens was a very famous atheist. He was considered one of the four horsemen of atheism. That's what they called themselves. Uh, Chris Hitchens was an atheist who didn't much care for Christianity, but he recognized that it had a stabilizing influence in society. When you believe, when you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and a God Almighty for whom we will all stand in judgment, you're more likely to leave other people alone in how they live their lives because they may escape justice in this life, but they won't escape justice in the next life. As you are less and less likely to believe in God, you must become God because you must execute judgment in lieu of the God you don't believe in. So society becomes more intolerant and everyone becomes more hostile of each other. And you see this even within nominal people of faith these days because nominal people of faith these days are so into politics, they're trying to find a political savior for spiritual problems. It explains to a degree what happened to the Donald Trump phenomenon within churches. People who believe 
that there is an existential crisis. The left is out to get them, and and they forget that the God of the universe is on their side. they got to find a political savior to protect them from the other side. The Democrats do the same thing. They reject the idea of God Almighty, but they're theistic as well. They worship something. They've got their own gods and idols, and they want those gods and idols directed against the other side. Why? Because both sides in that category actually forget there is a real God, and so they must be the emissary of the God who does not exist and execute judgment on all others. We see this played out in the cultural realm today on the left wants to destroy the right, the right wants to destroy the left. No one's able to say, well, just leave it to God. He'll take care of it. No, no, there is no God. We're God, and we must punish the other side. We're seeing this play out in real time as a decline in belief in the higher order of things, God, angels, demons, hell, the devil, and heaven transpire. Our demands for instituting and imposing justice and judgment on others increases because fewer and fewer people believe there will come judgment in the afterlife. They have to impose judgment now. This also explains the data point that the left is more intolerant of the right. The left is less likely to be able to live and let live than the right because the left is more atheistic than the right. So large segments of the right still believe, okay, I don't have to worry about this. God's got it. But on the left, there is no God. So they're the only ones who got it. So they got to get it and get it done now because there's nothing left. That's why the left is increasingly so intolerant of other people and other ideas and can't stand to have them share space in the public square because on the right, most people still understand there's a heaven, there's a hell, there's a day of judgment. We have to live in a certain way and others can be held accountable even if they escape it. There's none of that on the left anymore. It becomes deeply authoritarian. It becomes deeply antagonizing. It becomes deeply totalitarian. Chris Hitchens, an atheist, recognized that and saw the stabilitating, stabilizing way that faith in a society makes people get along with each other. And as that faith goes away, even atheists like Chris Hitchens could recognize that it destabilizes society and makes people more and more intolerant of each other. Some of you are just intolerant of the stinky spaces that you're living in. And can I recommend the Eden Pure Thunderstorm to wipe out those noxious odors? It truly does work. Took one with me to Las Vegas. Did not have to use it, but it was there in my travel bag. They're small enough. You can hold it in your hand. You can travel with it easily. You can get three of them for less than $200 at EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is my name, Eric, E-R-I-C-K. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm is an air purifier. It gets rid of the pollen and the dust floating in the air, but it also wipes out bad odors, smoke odors, litter box odors, pet odors, coconut odors, musty odors. It wipes them out. You can plug it up with a USB cord in your car. You can plug it up into the wall. If someone's been smoking in the rental car before you get it, wipe it out. Someone's been smoking in your in your hotel room, you can wipe it out. If you're in a in a cabin somewhere in the woods and it's got a fireplace and it's made it smoky, you can wipe it out. Your basement, your upstairs, your downstairs, where your pet is, get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms less than two hundred dollars. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric E R I C K. Hello, America. How are you? It's Eric Erickson here. Let me see real quick, Anthony. I got about a minute here, but wanted to take your phone call. Oh, I just wanted to say that uh, what I think about people leaving uh, religion or believing in God alone is, you know, um, trying to make this fast, but John seventeen twenty one that they all may be one, 
as thou, Father, honor me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 1.10 that we should speak the same thing, have the same mind and same judgment. And God gave us one book, and I believe that we can all read it the same. So I think a lot of people are looking at the religious world. You see all these different religions and denominations and everything, and everybody's teaching different stuff when we can look at the book together and come to an agreement. Listen, good for you in, in quoting the, the King James version of that as well, and, and perhaps there's something to that. Um, I, I do think that historically in this country, when the country slips into crisis or economic calamity, uh, people's faith grows. When you got prosperous times, uh, people tend to believe it's on them. So I, I actually just full disclosure, this, this topic is kind of on my mind a little bit because starting this coming Sunday, I got to teach a Sunday school class for four weeks uh, on uh, people of how do people of faith navigate a world without it. Uh, and so I start on Sunday and, and my favorite book of the Bible. Well, I, so, you know, John, I love the New Testament, the, the book of John and Romans is fantastic, uh, Jude, but my favorite book of the Bible is Amos. I love Amos. In seminary, I fell in love with the book of Amos. And I'm going to spend a lot of time in Amos in this class uh, just because here's a man who was charged to go from Judah up to Israel and tell them uh, judgment's coming because y'all are treating the widows, the orphans, the poor, the refugees badly. Um, loving your neighbor is kind of left on the wayside. And uh, the people up there are like, no, no, God loves us. Look at how wealthy we are. And he's like, no, no, the, the wealth is because judgment's coming. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.